Hello, welcome to the Level Up Your Faith podcast. I'm your host, Eric Philpott. Today, my guest is evangelist Jim Moss. He is the founder of Love Worth Sharing Ministries out of Nacogdoches, Texas. Brother Jim, I'm really pleased that you're on the show today. Thank you, Pastor Eric. It's an honor and a joy. And I've been looking forward to this privilege sharing with your audience and being a part of your ministry, my brother. Praise God. Praise God. I am very interested in sharing with everyone the reality that when you started in ministry, you started at 14 years old. Yes, sir. You don't hear that very often anymore. Uh, no, sir, you don't. I, let me just share with you briefly. Please. Uh, when my biological mother passed away when I was nine years of age, and she had a brain tumor. But when I was conceived and the nine months of her pregnancy, there was a lot of complication. Now, her death was not related to the complications she had in childbirth with me. But uh, it was at the point where the doctors had said uh, one of us, either my mother or myself, would not make it through birth. And uh, praise the Lord for godly parents, Brother Aries, because she called our pastor in. And uh, she dedicated me before my birth to the Lord, and she asked God to take her life. God honored her and spared both of our lives. Mm, amen. And uh, I wasn't aware of what she did at that time. They waited, my dad did, until I was older to understand. But for nine years of my early childhood, watching my mother suffer with her brain tumor, my mother wanted to make sure, knowing that she was dying, her surgery was to no avail. They only gave her less than a year to live after her brain tumor surgery. She wanted to make sure that she would see me in heaven. And uh, it was in a revival meeting in our local home church on a Tuesday night. I was under conviction. My mother saw it, and she wanted me to Jesus in the pew that we were sitting in during the invitation and led me down to the pastor and made my salvation experience at the age of eight and a half publicly known. And then within six months, my mother passed away. Afterwards, Daddy shared with me what I've shared with your audience and with you. Daddy remarried, and for a short-span season, we were out of church. But thank God, when I was 14, the Lord sent a soul in by our house. I was already saved, of course, but we were out of church. And uh, he met me out in the drive. I was playing basketball in the driveway. And uh, he began to share the gospel with me. I knew I had accepted Christ, but I had a hunger to know more about my Lord. And so I began going to church without my family. And then they followed. And it was just a few months that God's call was evident in my life. I can't explain it. I, no bombshell went off. But I was singing in the youth choir on Sunday night. And all I can remember was I dropped my hymnal 
we were singing the invitation. And the next thing I remembered, I was with my pastor in the front in the altar. And I shared with him that God was calling me to preach. I didn't know what preaching meant. There were no preachers historically in our families. But God put that call on my life. And I've been trying to serve him with that call all these many years, my brother. Praise God. Praise God. So this, you started as an evangelist, preaching in churches. Uh, from what I understand, 76, while you were a teenager. Yes, sir. And then at the age of 18, you were called to be a pastor. Yes. Called to a church yes, to be a pastor. Before I ever set foot in college or seminary, <laughs> I, I often fault that pastor for calling me. What do you know when you're 18? You think you know everything, but you know right. very little. But it was all a part of God's plan and his hand on my life. I I started out, as you stated, at the age of 14. I turned 15. Mother and Daddy bought me a little Honda CB100 motorcycle and turned me loose. I couldn't imagine turning my son loose when he was 14, 15 on a motorcycle. And I drove all over the state of Arkansas. Now, mind you, I'm still in school. I have to be in school at 8 o'clock of the morning and get out at 3.30, uh, ninth grade through high school years. But I would go and do revivals 50, 60, 70 miles away on that motorcycle. I wasn't old enough to have driver's license and have an automobile. I turned 16. Daddy bought me an old wore-out car. I thought I was in heaven with a car. <laughs> and... I did 77 revivals in two and a half years as a teenage evangelist and still held the responsibilities of school. And uh, God was just uh, amazing. Uh, I look back over that. And when I graduated high school in 1978, the month of May, the month of August, a church extended to me a call to be their pastor. And I accepted the call and was there for two and a half years. A little community called Humnoak, Arkansas, population 398. Again, at the age of 18, I didn't know much theologically. I knew Jesus saves. And that basically was my message and understand I'm 45 uh, years into the ministry, 59 years of age, and that's still my message. Jesus saves. And it's not a complex message. I try to make it as explicit, as simple as I can. Pastor, I believe one of the greatest compliments that we can receive by our parishioners, our people, of God are the words you keep it simple preacher you keep it simple and so God's been with me through a successful pastorate early on in my life and we moved to Texas he moved me to a, a church out in East Texas in the decade of the 80s and then the decade of the 90s I pastored my third church uh, which was my last church, First Baptist St. Augustine. 
And these past 19 years, since the year 2000, I've been in full-time evangelism. Going on 20 years now. Going on 20 years. I'm in my 20th year, yes, sir. Amen. So I know that you do a lot of traveling. That's an understatement. Yes. <laughs> so I would I would guesstimate something like uh, maybe 100,000 miles a year. You're every Sunday in a church beginning a revival for a community, for a pastor. And, you know, as, as believers, a lot of folks are busy. <clears throat> They've got a million things that are going on. You definitely have a busy schedule between driving. And I know that even during the day, you're out in the communities with the pastor ministering and, and counseling and it's, it's constant. So there's a lot to balance. Have you developed any routines or habits that have helped you balance the dynamics of continuing your personal development and growth and the busy schedule that's around that? Uh, let me say, Brother Eric, at the outset of this, uh, I have been very, very blessed, and I don't say that tongue-in-cheek, uh, with a godly wife that's been supportive of our ministry all these many years. And you have to understand, I'm gone away from my wife. She doesn't travel much with me at this part of our ministry. And when I leave and travel from Saturday and wherever I finish up a revival at driving distance on Wednesday night, I drive home to get back to be with her Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So I want to praise the Lord that she's supportive of me. Amen. Not many evangelists would have that kind of support. She's sacrificing our family time for me to do the work of the Lord, her knowing that God has called me into this field of evangelism. Mm -hmm. I have discovered that I'm more fresh early in the morning. Now, I do stay up late. I'm a night owl. Okay. But... Uh, I just thank the Lord that I'm not required but five, five and a half hours of sleep at night because every morning uh, while I'm away, I get up at 4.30. My wife has to rise early, so I call her, make sure her alarm goes off, and then I spend that next two, two and a half hours with just me and the Lord. I've discovered it's very quiet during that time. I'm more alert and fresh. And I I just begin my day uh, in prayer, asking God to speak a fresh word to my heart. Because the key to successful ministry, my humble opinion, is to be fresh. From week to week, I take that seriously, Brother Eric, because every church has different needs for such a time as that week that has been ordained for a revival series of services. And so I begin each morning to answer your question, uh, praying, searching my heart, Searching my heart if there's unconfessed sin. Ask God to clean me because 
it is a life of humility, as you are aware. God broke me many years ago out from the life of legalism. And I say legalism, meaning that my life was frustrated as a preacher, as a pastor, because I would get up and I would have so much on my agenda, thinking that it was the activity of God. Mm. I never will forget, I went to my first Henry Blackaby Experiencing God conference, and it was there, Brother Eric, that I discovered that God was not in every activity that I thought he was in, that I was chasing after God. I had to learn to find God where he was and join myself to him. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, absolutely. And and when I began to find where the Lord was working and join myself to that work, I was no longer frustrated at the end of the day because of not fulfilling what I thought God required of me to do. In other words, I accepted the grace of God. God's grace exploded for the first time in my life. Amen. I found myself so busy doing things for Jesus that it kept me from Jesus. Wow. And since I've been delivered from that legalistic lifestyle and have experienced the grace of God in the area of my life of experiencing him in his work, his activity. Now, when I finish the day, I have that peace and joy that I never had because of frustration, thinking that I did not accomplish enough for the Lord that day. And oh, that's a struggle for a lot of folks too. Yes, it is. It really is. It reminds me a little bit about when I first got when I first got saved. I got into the Word of God like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first year saved, I read it two and a half times. But I had set myself on such a schedule that within six months, I got up at this time. I opened it up. I had the chapters that I was going to read, and it came to a point where I remember. Where one of my kids, and I believe it was my son, Christian, was walking down the stairs and he just said like good morning or something like that. Sure. And I actually got upset because I'm in study. I'm it's my time with the Lord. And and my own child was coming in, and I could have, looking back now, I could have embraced and sat down and had a really good study. Exactly. But that kind of just that regimented legalism starts early, I guess, you know, in, in your walk. It does. And you know, Pastor, when you're bound with that legalism, if you're not careful, it leads to becoming uh, judgmental, having a judgmental spirit. Mm. Which becomes critical. Which is critical, becomes critical. Yes. Exactly. And uh, one thing that God had to break me from is that judgmental spirit that I had for others, I would uh, try to measure others in my congregation, others of colleagues of mine in the ministry. And if they didn't come up to the level where I thought they should be, then I'm, I'm asking, what's wrong with them? How come they're not as spiritual as quote I am? Oh yeah. But God broke me from that. And, and I praise him because 
now I understand that we all are, are flawed and we all have frailties, make a myriad of mistakes in life. And yet we're still covered by the grace of God. And so when I came to that understanding, I was able to have the freedom to accept others are covered by God. So God covers me. I, therefore, must cover others of their mistakes, look beyond their faults. And that's, in essence, my ministry as an evangelist. I'm not a great harvester. That's not the call that God has on my life. I'm more of an uh, exhorter, encourager. And uh, because I've walked where people have walked. And uh, I understand sometimes uh, life deals us a bad hand. Not necessarily because we've done wrong, but because we've done right. Not because we're out of the will of God but because we're in the will of God. And so when somebody makes a mistake or when somebody falls, even a pastor in immorality, I'm still there for them because I'm thankful that God gave me another chance. He is another chance God. Yes, he is. And so I cover them rather than to judge them. And covering them, I encourage. I let people know that, hey, we can all come back. We may be knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Amen. We can't throw in the towel because we don't have the towel. That's good. Huh? That's amen? Right. Yes, amen. You know, in a, in a boxing oh, yeah. match, the manager throws in the towel for the boxer. The Holy Spirit is our manager, and he's never going to throw in the towel for no. us. Now, Amen. you know, you, you, that, that illustration that you that you bring up with the boxer, every time I've ever seen the, the manager throw the towel in, you always look at the fighter. And no matter how beat up he's getting, if he's just getting up from being knocked down, he looks over like, what? What are you doing? What's going on? <laughs> I, 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 I can take it or whatever it is. That... Uh, that's kind around. of the, the, that should be the believer's mindset too. I mean, uh, a righteous man gets knocked down seven times and what does he do? He rises up. That's good. And so that's what we're, that's what we're called to do. If we get that mindset, that would be outstanding. Yeah. But great. talking about this covering and, and thinking about in contrast to where our society is going right now, mm-hmm. there's, there's two questions that, that I think of. One is going to be related to the pastor, and you you mentioned that, a pastor that falls into morality. That's a big issue that gets brought up only because it's rare, but it's always magnified. It's rare, but it's always Always magnified. magnified. It's always magnified. The congregation, believers and non-believers, will look at that, and it'll be a justification not to go to church anymore or not to embrace Christ as their Savior and get saved. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is uh, in relation to society and what we're seeing right now. So we're seeing in America, we're seeing a moral decline. Wouldn't you agree? I certainly would. We're, we're watching it happen. It's on our watch. What are some of the things having been, 
in churches every week for 20 years, different churches, seeing the whole dynamics. I mean, just you've seen so much in our country, in different environments. What would you say are some of the key elements that that is helping to precipitate, I guess, this decline? I'm convinced, for what it's worth, Pastor Eric, that most of our moral decline in America is attributed to our society more and more opposing God. And when I say that, we've chosen secular humanism as a nation over the Lord. Yes. And I do a lot of reading and I jotted down an excerpt and I want to share with your audience uh, from Edward Gibbons' final volume on the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. And in that uh, writing, uh, Mr. Gibbons, he gave five reasons why the great Roman Empire failed. And out of those five, three of those reasons are running rampant throughout America. Number one that I identify the cause of the moral decline in our nation uh, of the five causes that he identified, the three that I identify, number one, the breakdown of the family. Okay. I've never seen or could imagine uh, where I go to churches, whether it's in the Metroplex or out in a very remote, rural, small church. Every congregation has been affected by the breakdown of the family. Who would have ever dreamed so many grandparents are raising their grandkids? That's mind-boggling to me, but thank God. It wasn't meant to be that way, but thank God we have grandparents who love those grandkids. Some of the grandkids that I've taught with in churches, they don't know who their parents are. Or either they live with a single parent, they're in and out of uh, various homes. So the breakdown of the family. Okay. Uh, the second one is the insatiable craving for pleasure. Mm. Uh, would you have ever thought there's so much craving for pleasure, the lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? Not just in the uh, secular world. Uh, but even within the body of Christ, very lack of commitment anymore. I don't know if the majority of God's people that sit in the pew periodically could even define commitment Hmm. because I see very little commitment to the Lord's work, to the Lord's church, and basically hardly any commitment to any one given thing. It's all about pleasure. It's all about how pleasure can benefit them. So hedonism pops back up in our society. Exactly. Thank you. And then the third reason I jotted down is to the decay of religion as a scope. Mm. 
Now, I'm evangelical, of course. I'm fundamental, uh, Bible-believing salvation by grace and totality. But when I say religion, I'm speaking across the board. We see a decline, a falling away of even the respect of God, the respect of God's house by so-called Christians, those that were, if not involved in a local congregation now, they were raised up in local congregations. And now no longer we see the commitment. Mm. And so I think those three reasons are very prominent in causing the decline of our... They're huge. They're huge. And I think of the family, um, I mean, never has it been like it is today, at least in America, where so many people are getting divorced. And then the family itself is under attack as far as man and woman. And now we see it very prevalent in our nation where same sex, you know, at first it was, it was, uh, a, a union of some sort, but now they have the, ascribe uh, the title of marriage to it. Exactly. And, and then children are being taught this, that this is normal behavior in the public school system. Mm -hmm. And so then from that, it almost just compounds the issue that you have with the family. So the nuclear family is definitely under attack. It was one of the first institutions that God established was the family. And if the Bible tells us that the foundations be removed, what can the righteous do? And so that foundation is actually being eroded away right before our eyes. And commitment is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I were talking about that yesterday about commitment and commitment today is so much different than it used to be, but then it's different from every, for every person, Mm -hmm. you know, for me having been in the military, we talked about this yesterday. Commitment is you and I are agreeing. We're going into combat and, and nothing's going to stop us from taking the objective. Exactly. I've got your back. You got my back and I'm never going to question that. And today, a lot of people's commitment, it has to be lined up with convenience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then it's easy to justify why they're not going to take the hill. Uh-huh. And that's, uh, that's huge. That's you, huge. So commitment's a big deal. You know, Pastor, one of the uh, aspects of being committed, I feel, is one of many, is discipline. Mm. There's very lack of discipline. We have to, even our spiritual walk, our commitment with Christ, we must be disciplined. You spoke of your military background. You were certainly disciplined in the military. Yes. And that has uh, come about uh, and is very evident and obvious in your walk with the Lord. You're disciplined. You're not legalistic, as you were talking about earlier. Right. But still, you're very disciplined. I mean, there's not a day go by that you don't spend time alone in the Word of God because you understand that the enemy out there has so much to distract us if we take our eyes and our focus off of that which we have been disciplined in the Word of God. And so I want to commend you for your commitment and for your discipline 
And that's an area that I have really tried to improve in my life personally, not just as a minister or an evangelist, but it's more than just religion. It's a relationship. Yes, yes. And you have to develop that relationship and you can't increase your love for Christ and your walk for him without discipline. You know, I was really happy when I started doing word studies in the Bible. Amen. And I know you love them. Yes, I love them as well. Mm -hmm. I was really happy to find out that the root word of disciple is discipline. Amen. I was, I was exactly. like, when I discovered Amen. that, I was like, oh, this is wonderful. This is, this yeah. is a good thing. Uh, I've got a little bit of that and still working on it. But. Yeah, now you can understand it. And, uh, and, uh, so the other point that you brought up in that uh, with the decline that we're seeing and, and what you're seeing uh, very specifically was uh, this rise of hedonism, mm-hmm. this rise of pleasant, pleasuring yourself above all things. Mm-hmm. And we obviously know that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is supposed to have the preeminence in our lives. Sure. And unfortunately, pleasure is taking uh, taking the seat that Jesus is supposed to sit in, where he's number one. And in America, I guess we're taught, you know, you can be anything that you want to be. You can have anything that you want to have. You just got to put your mind to it. And, and people are really exploring for themselves what pleasures them above what pleases him. That's good. Mm-hmm. And um, how do we, I mean, obviously I find a lot of pleasure, and I know you do, in serving Christ. Amen. Um, I, I love, I don't like when I see somebody that's hurting or in bondage, but what I do love is when you speak life over them and you're drawing out the, the scripture and speaking it over their lives and the bondage breaks the, the despair goes away and you watch somebody from this life of absolute pleasure where they're just pleasing themselves. And if you ask them and they're honest with you, they're searching for pleasure and they're not finding it. Okay. They're exploring a lot of stuff. Yes. They're not finding it. And then in Christ Jesus, you watch them do a 180. They no longer want to go out and do the things they used to do or talk the way they used to talk. And, and that takes some time for it to, for it to completely shed off. You just see them just skyrocketing. That's awesome to see. What we're seeing a lot of times in the church is, is folks are kind of doing the checkbox. I went to church mm-hmm. and, and they're saying the things they're supposed to say while they're in church. And they're, they're saying what you expect them to say. And then through the course of the week, they go off and they're doing other things that are pleasing themselves instead of pleasing him. So, What's causing that kind of disconnect in, in your uh, in your opinion? Well, Pastor Eric, uh, to your audience, I I like what you said about more than pleasure to ourselves. We want we have a desire to please the Lord, and of course, that's an element of faith. It's impossible to please God, the scripture says, without faith. Yes. And so people are hurting so much. But the bottom line is 
people do not love themselves. And when they do not love themselves, consequently, they're not going to love others. Wow. And not loving others, because they don't love themselves, they don't want others to love themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, hurting people hurt people. Exactly. Hurting people hurt people. And so I see that. Now, how do I try to respond? And as you said, see a 180 in the life of those that fall into that category. My teaching is, my personal belief is, the way that you nurse your own hurts is start nursing the hurts of others. Become a servant. Take it off yourself and start serving and ministering to others. One of my favorite illustrations is scripture about what was called the Valley of Baca. Some theologians say it was a literal valley. Others say that it was a figurative valley. But the Valley of Baca means the Valley of Suffering. And uh, the scripture teaches us in the book of Psalms that we go through the Valley of Suffering in life. And when we do, it says, dig a well that others who pass by can drink and refresh from it. Let's face it. I haven't walked the steps of everyone. For instance, I don't know what it feels like for God to take away a spouse whom I loved for 30, 40, 50 years. And I don't know how that person feels. Uh, The loneliness uh, deprived of that union. I don't know what it's like bearing a child or God forbid a grandchild like so many. I've never walked in that valley of suffering. But now if you discuss with me, brother, what is it like going through as a parent with a child addicted to drugs? Now I've gone through that valley of suffering and that digging well and filling it with water for those to come behind you and drink of, that water is our tears. How many tears have I shed when having a son on drugs and the rebellious of the son and and knowing that I brought him up in the house of the Lord and the admonition of the Lord, the teachings, the uh, precepts of God, it made me feel like I was a failure. And so, but praise the Lord. Uh, we didn't give up on him. Amen. And God saved him. Hallelujah. And, and you know him quite Amen. well. Yes. Turned his life 180 as you were talking about. Amen. And uh, so now I have a testimony. If God did it for my son, God can do it for your son. Yes. Or your daughter. And so I've dug that well. And those who come behind me 
I can help them in that area. Yes. And so my word to your audience today would be not find pleasure in things and stuff of this world, but find your pleasure in how you can minister and help someone else. Amen. Wow. Take your experiences that God has brought you through. One of my favorite phrases of the word, this too shall pass. Yes. Amen. 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 Keep your chin up and your shoulders square and keep marching. Yes. Because there's not a valley too wide that God won't bring you through. Amen. Amen. And that's true. And he'll grow us, he'll grow us stronger. Yes, he will. As we do that. In the midst of adversity is where we grow. Amen. Amen. So, you know, with uh with the church today and what we're seeing even more so in America, because this is where we where we are. Mm-hmm. Um Statistically, I've looked into this, and they're stating that between about hundreds, upwards of 1,500 pastors are leaving the pastorate every month. Every month. Every month. Yes, sir. So this this almost seems like a ridiculous number of pastors to be leaving. And then we talked earlier about not throwing in the towel. The Holy Spirit's not going to throw in the towel. Yeah. With all that we're seeing with the decline, and, and you're you're with pastors every week. Yes, sir. Hundreds and hundreds of pastors yes, you talk with. Maybe the, the listeners don't understand that being a pastor sometimes can be tough. There's the small percentage that do fall into uh, the moral decay themselves. And then there are others that that uh, that may you know, find the riches of this world and the pleasure, uh-huh. and they go into the direction that we're talking about. Sure, but those are actually very small in comparison to the fifteen hundred that are leaving every month. Exactly. What are your observations of some of the reasons that they would leave? I'm glad you asked that question because you're certainly correct. I have scores of pastors. Uh, kind of under my umbrella of ministry. Yes. And I'm a pastor's pastor. That's one reason God called me, I am assured of this, into evangelism. And as I said earlier on, I'm not a great harvester. I'm more of an encourager. An encourager to pastors because I pastored. And I know uh, the demands of a, the pastoral ministry. And I've studied and read uh, these statistics as you have quoted. Uh, The last one that I uh, gave prudence to stated that 1,700 plus ministers walk out monthly. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And in my, I've had several, several over the last 19 plus years of full-time evangelism that uh, have contacted me and said, Brother Jim, I I can't go any longer. I resigned my church. I don't know what I'm going to do. Now, I've had some to resign, say they'll never go back in the pastorate. And, and, uh, you know, uh, 
of their own volition. They say that God carried them to the woodshed and they come running back in a year or two. But uh, uh, I'd, if I could pinpoint some reasons, one of them would be most pastors are overworked. And uh, I read a study and uh, said 90% of pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours a week. And they feel they're unable to meet the demands of the pastor job. And uh, I can understand because when I was a full-time pastor, I didn't punch a clock, but my phone was never on silence because as a pastor, my call was to have compassion on my people and they could get with me any time of the day or night. And uh, out of that, so many uh, of the 90% that walk out of this survey study that I recently read, and 75% of that 90% feel like they are way underpaid. And that's a problem. Because the pressure of walking out, uh, some, I, I feel this number would be even more staggering, but many pastors feel that if they walked out, they have no means to support their family because most pastors, all of their education is centered around their ministry, you know, theologically, biblically. And uh, that's all they know. And so being overworked is one. And many pastors in my circle struggle with depression and uh, discouragement. They feel depressed uh, discouraged and they leave the ministry and that that's huge depression is we could spend an entire week of podcasts yes. talking about depression and uh, let me give you just a few others and then I want to hear your comments uh, most pastors families are negatively impacted you know the family the wife the children they feel like they are left out. And unfortunately, churches, God's people, leave them out. One thing that you will notice, I've been with you in a joint revival effort this week yes. with uh, Mount Olive Church of Plano and your church people, Cross Life. We've had a joint service. And... Uh, I've been here on a number of occasions and I always look forward to coming and being with That's both good. congregations. But you never hear me mention the pastor name without mentioning his wife's name. True. Okay? Yes. I always recognize it's not Brother Eric and his wife. It's Brother Eric and Miss Suzette. Because every pastor's wife has a name. Yes. 
And nothing more frustrating when I was pastoring that my parishioners would flock to me. And it was like my wife and my kids, my family were on the outskirts. And when we would be in the public, they would introduce us as, this is my pastor, Brother Jim, and this is his wife. And so over time, that plagues a pastor's family. They feel out of touch. They feel deserted. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so that's one reason in my circle of pastors that they have dropped out of the ministry because it's just uh, more ceremony, more pop and circumstance given to the pastor and his family are shunned, basically. And let me give you another reason that I've discovered. It's most pastors are lonely. Hmm. I have more calls than not from pastors. My phone constantly rings or text messages of pastors that do not have anyone they can confide in. And uh, I would say 75%, three out of every four pastors I've discovered they do not have a close friend. And uh, that's why I believe God has me where he has me. To be a friend of pastors. And uh, so that's just a few of some of the reasons personally I feel that so many are leaving the ministry. You know, this conversation isn't talked about a lot. Um, I mean, and, and most people that are believers... I mean, pastors included, we're all believers, but there's a calling that's on a pastor's life. And that calling can be a little heavy at times because of some of the things that you mentioned, the low pay. Um, most people don't realize that even as a pastor, there's a roller coaster of emotions that they go through, even in sermon preparation and delivering the message that God put on their heart. Mm-hmm. They don't know who it's going to help. They don't know who it's going to hurt. Exactly. They don't know what's going to happen. And so... Even the next day, the Monday morning blues for the pastor is, was the message good? You reflect on things that you said and you're like, oh, Lord, you know, that goes that too hard. Is that? So there's this roller coaster mm-hmm. of emotions that you're going through. Then your availability needs to be 24 hours a day. So at five o'clock in the morning, at five o'clock in the afternoon, whatever time it is, there's an emergency that comes up. And most people don't realize that as a pastor, he could have plans with his family and the kids and there's going to be a Saturday picnic and we're going to have a great time and I'm going to spend this time with you mm-hmm. and then the phone rings. Exactly. Yes. Sir. And then most people don't realize, I guess, that the pastor's life and his family and his kids, they all kind of live their life in a fishbowl. Everybody gets to look in. Everybody gets to analyze. Everybody gets to see what they're That's doing. That's a good analogy. Yes, sir. Unfortunately, there's a doorknob. If there's a door on this fishbowl, there's a doorknob on the outside. And anytime anybody has a problem, they'll turn that doorknob. And whatever plans the pastor had with his family also gets washed out. And he says, I've got to go to the hospital. 
so-and-so and this and that mm. and whatever it is. So those plans. Then the children, um, the pastor's kids, oftentimes are held to a higher standard. That's good. Just like the pastor. Yes. And that's tough because they're kids, just like any other kid. And they're kind of treated just slightly different enough that they feel like they don't want to dishonor their father. They don't want to dishonor the family and they don't get to enjoy some things. And then they're held to a higher standard, which is tough for them. And this adds additional burdens to the pastor because he wants them to have a healthy life. Mm -hmm. And then they end up just saying, you know what, forget all this. Yeah. And they enter into that rebellion which is even more taxing on the pastor who's struggling to take care of his family because he doesn't make enough money. Exactly. Trying to put food on the table and make sure that he has gas to get to the next place. Mm -hmm. uh, all those things play a role in it. You know, I think that congregations would do well to, to spend some time talking about we're being a servant, being committed, mm -hmm. loving the Lord more than loving pleasure. And just think for a moment that uh, that they have it within their ability to save their pastor from spiritual disaster. That's good. Hmm. They can help. They can help. So that's what the body of Christ is about. That's what family is supposed to be about. And it's under attack. It's under attack today. It like is. Nobody's business. It is. I would to God that what you just said could be conveyed in a made applicable to the congregations of our church, churches. And if I had my life to live back over in the ministry as a pastor, yes. I would go back and first and foremost, I would resolve to spend more quality time with my wife and my children. I would never let a church circumstance interfere with something I had personally planned for my family. You say, well, that sounds selfish. That's not asking any more of me and my family than other families would ask of themselves. Sure. I mean, I've heard some some pretty interesting excuses on why people don't go to church. Yeah. Or why they don't attend a revival. From, it's kind of cold outside, and I think I thought I saw, this is real, I yeah. think I thought I saw an icicle forming, <laughs> I won't be able to make it to Wednesday night service. Yeah. To the issues with dogs and different things like this. You know the old saying is, the it, takes, commitment. it takes 500 gallons of water to baptize a church member, but it only takes three raindrops to keep one from church. <laughs> now, legitimately, um, obviously with, with, uh, with people that are going to church, it's interesting to see some of those excuses. For others that aren't believers and they're looking at the church and they claim that, 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 uh, that Christians are hypocrites. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and in to some degree, because we're all flawed, we're not going to be able to pull off perfection. Exactly. Jesus is the only one that's perfect. Mm -hmm. I've told my congregation before that, um, if you know, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Cause if you hang around me long enough, I'm going to let you down. 
That's right. Amen. But Jesus will never let you down. You know what I tell these that use the hypocrite for excuse? I say, well, you better probably stop eating at Kentucky Fried Chicken then. No longer go to Cracker Barrel or the Red Lobster or the Salt Grass because there's hypocrites there also. That's true. Amen. That's true. I'd rather be in church with a hypocrite than to be at Cracker Barrel with a hypocrite. So why would you use that for an excuse? And those that use that for their excuse, if they're hiding behind a hypocrite, they're becoming smaller than the hypocrite in order to hide behind them. Uh Yeah. We're all flawed. We are. And I hear a lot of people that I talk with and I know that you talk with as well, they will say, I'm not going to church because the church hurt me. Sure. If they're honest, it it boils down to them getting hurt. That's exactly right. But they have thrown the baby out with the bathwater as far as I can tell, because have you ever been hurt by the church? Certainly. I have as well. And because of the, because of my relationship with Christ, he says, don't forsake the assembling one with another. Now, I get it that there's some folks that um, were malicious. Hmm. They were, it was, it was, it was, it was almost anti-Christ spirit. But that's one or a few people are now causing believers who I genuinely believe they love the Lord. Yes. Don't attend church anymore and have isolated themselves to a large degree mm-hmm. from the body of Christ. And, and they're wanting to have a relationship with Christ. He says, don't forsake the assembly one with another as it's becoming so common to man. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that. Is there, is there any encouragement that you could give to those folks who have been hurt by select individuals? I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, All of us have been hurt by, quote, church folks. Think about me at the age of 18, walking into a pastor. 18 years old, I thought Christians were Christians. I thought everything was, you know, on the top shelf when it comes to relationships with the Lord and unity among the body of believers. Boy, was I in for a surprise. But there again, was only a few, only a few, right? And we can't allow a few of carnal Christians, and I give them the benefit of the doubt that they know the Lord, of carnal Christians to rob us of our God-given responsibilities of assembling ourselves together. Mm. Because the word church uh, with the doctrine the first mentions in the Bible, Jesus is the first one that mentioned church and uh, the word ecclesia. We are gathered together and uh, we are consecrated to God. It's a twofold meaning of that word church. It's a gathering uh, together. And so when we get saved, God births in that born-again experience, that spiritual birth, God births within our heart a desire to want to be with God's people. 
And so if we're away from God's people, no matter the circumstance, I mean, those that get hurt, get over it. My message is fourfold when I go to churches. Faith, faith in salvation, but faith also, we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes. But not only faith, the second, and this is not in any priority order, but is forgiveness. Yes. Forgiveness, that's easier said than done. Yes, it is. It took years for me to forgive a couple in church life that literally, you know, brought despair upon myself and family. Now, people can hurt me all they want, but when they start targeting in my family, I really bore. And uh, so, and I'm easy going. You know my temperament. You know yes. my personality. I'm not yes. a fighter. I'm a lover. But yet, uh, the lack of forgiveness, people hoarding up uh, hostile malice in there over something that was done years ago, uh, that robbed so many of us of our walk in a joyful walk in the peace that passes the understanding of man in our heart that only God can give. And so I would suggest for anybody that's out of church because they have been hurt by church to rise up above them that hurt you and just forgive and put it in the past and start your Christian journey anew, afresh, because you know as well as I do, for those that may be watching or listening to this podcast that are out of church, that have been disappointed, and that's, uh, uh, you know, a lack of a better word, I suppose, of people in church. Don't let past experiences rob you of your joy in the Lord. Rise above it. Amen. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a, is a big deal. It's holding a lot of people back. Well, it keeps us from the other two themes of my ministry. Faith, forgiveness, and then fellowship. And from fellowship comes friendship. Yes. We have no greater friend than Christ. Amen. And the scriptures are numerous of the relationship that we have with the Lord as our friend and one another as friends. And you can't be friendly without forgiveness and willing to forgive. As a matter of fact, doesn't the scripture tell us we can't love God and hate our brother? Yes. And I see so many in the church they won't come out and admit they hate. But it's obvious that they hate their brother. When they turn their face, when they pull up the parking lot and see that individual, then they decide to just leave and go back home. You know, something's not right with that picture. Somebody told me one time, and, and I liked it because it made sense and I could find it scripturally. 
Because we're called to love. We're called to forgive. And they said something so simple. And sometimes the most profound things are the simplest things. Yes. He said, I want you to understand that you can't carry the cross and carry offense at the same time. Mm. And we mm. get offended and we make it about us. We take it personally. Uh, it hits our ego. Yes. And we want to defend ourselves. And what we don't realize with unforgiveness is that other person that did whatever they did, they've moved on. They've moved they on. don't even care. No. And every time we think of them, we're the person with, with unforgiveness is really the person that's in bondage. Yes. And I read a book by Steve Otterburn called Forgiveness is a Choice. Mm-hmm. Really great book. Mm-hmm. But just the title itself is all you really need to read to understand what's being said. Yeah. I choose this day to forgive them. Now, we're smart. We're mm-hmm. gaining wisdom over time and through experience. So we don't ever forget as much as we'd like to. We really would like to forget. Mm-hmm. We don't. Right. We gain wisdom and discernment, but we forgive them. So if you walk up to somebody and they punch you in the face every time you saw them, you can forgive them every day. But you're not going to forget that every time you see them, they punch you in the face. Exactly. So the experience garners wisdom, and you now understand that I have to keep my distance from this person. Mm-hmm. My boundary has to get extended because this person, unfortunately, isn't reciprocating to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's what's needed. But to live under the burden of bitterness and unforgiveness mm-hmm. keeps us bound and keeps that's us good. from the church. That's good. It keeps us from witnessing. Mm-hmm. It keeps us from living the life that God ordained us to live from the foundation of time. So forgiveness is the key. Uh, obviously, faith is where it starts. Yes. Faith, forgiveness. I even like the order. Faith, forgiveness, forgiveness fellowship, fellowship, and friendships. Yeah. Friendships. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate friend. Amen. For sure. Amen. Yes, sir. Well, our time is actually running yes, out. Sir. I want to ask you, uh, this one last question, and this is a great question that's going to help me and it's going to help others. But if Jim Moss could go back 20 years and talk to the Jim Moss that started evangelism, leaving the pastorate, going into evangelism, that pivotal moment, what advice would you give him? With me, Pastor Eric, I knew God was calling me. I use the word call. For me, ministry is a call. It's not a career. God was calling me. And fear hindered me from being obedient to the call. I was pastoring. I was compensated well. My wife was doing well as a school teacher. My family, my two kids, they were in high, in high school, and uh, I was, quote, unquote, the pastor of a county seat church, and I thought I had an image to protect. And there again, God broke me, you understand, from all of this. And I ran from that call of going from what I had to literally I would not have anything 
no salary, uh, an empty calendar schedule, how am I going to provide, how am I going to pay my bills, etc. Okay, so being out of the will of God, to say the least, is an unpleasant experience. <laughs> yes. God has a way, and thank the Lord for long-suffering. He could have, perhaps should have, just wiped me out. But God repeatedly uh, got my attention, and I was so hard-headed and stubborn that I wouldn't yield, wouldn't submit to that call. For instance, I went through a, the most darkest days of my entire life was through the ordeal with my son, Jeremy. And uh, and then uh, one day we received a telephone call. My daughter was 17. She had been that morning rushed from school to our local hospital emergency room. Uh, she had excruciating pain. And to fast forward this, it was diagnosed uh, uh, there in Nacogdoches to another doctor as a, a couple of cysts. And uh, he went into immediate surgery. And all the whole time, I know that God's trying to get my attention, sitting there in the waiting room and praying, God, please don't let it be devastating, cancer or something, punishing me. You know how your mind thinks. Yeah. And so the doctor come out, had a, uh, a consultation with us, called us back there before he ever come out of the scrubs. And he had tears in his eyes. Thank the Lord, he was a godly doctor. We knew him personally. And he said, Brother Moss, Miss Moss, let me, let me let you know up front, it's not cancer. And I breathed a big sigh of relief. He said, but it's the worst case of endometriosis he'd ever seen mm -hmm. in a 17-year-old girl that she needed a hysterectomy. And, 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 and to face our daughter coming out of sedation, to share with her that she's probably going to have to go back into surgery. And, you know, but thank God I had a godly doctor. God's, God's timing, God's merciful hand, long-suffering extended to me more time to get right with him. The doctor said after in study, uh, the next few hours, he came back to us and said, there's a new drug that's been approved. Uh, why don't we try that? We can wait on the hysterectomy. And looking back over it, they shut her body system down for five years. She didn't cycle. And that uh, cured temporarily the endometriosis when she was married, took her off the medicine, and has blessed us, the Lord did, with three grandsons. Amen. Yes. Before she finally had to have that hysterectomy at the age of 30. Okay. So... Looking back over that to get to your initial question, I would I would suggest don't run from the Lord. Ooh. And once then you I acknowledged the call and was obedient and said, Yes, Lord. If I were to go back now or the early stages of my full time evangelism. One word that comes to mind that may not mean much to your audience or to you, but you have to put yourself in my shoes. And that's the word flexibility. Mm, okay. Because I go to so many churches and there's not two alike. 
every week poses a different circumstance or atmosphere or situation. I've gone into churches when they were totally in a upheaval, totally in contention, split down the middle. This group not speaking to that group. Uh, a rebellion against pastoral authority. I've gone to places where uh, for the good that uh, love the Lord, but they don't have a clue what God desires to do in their midst. Or for the little things that may seem trivial, I've gone and not got the pulpit on Sunday morning until 10 minutes to 12. <laughs> you know, all the preliminaries and announcements and that which to me is majoring on minor things. And then the mindset of the people, well, we need to be out of here by 12. Right. You know, and uh, so I've had to deal and become very flexible. I don't want to say go with the flow, but I got to understand old Bubba might get up and sing five specials back to back himself. Or they joke with me in some churches in Arkansas because I made a statement one Sunday morning. Uh, the church sung the hymn Revive Us Again, but they did it in a, a, a different arrangement. And I got up and I said, uh, it was Sunday evening, I got up and said, man, that, I appreciate y'all singing this song in a different arrangement. I said, I despise this one song more than any song in the hymn book. I don't like it because I hear it 52 weeks a year. That's every church's theme song, Revive Us Again. Well, they joked with me because there were two or three other churches who had transferred their service that night and were there. One music man said, by God, you'll never hear it sung at our church when you come over there. <laughs> and so we've had a good time with that. But uh, you have to be flexible. Yeah. Flexibility, mm -hmm. faith, forgiveness, fellowship, fellowship, friendship. friendship. Covered a lot of, uh, of those yes, today. And uh, understand your pastor and don't let... A hypocrite stop you from serving Jesus. Amen. Yes, sir. Some of the things that we've talked about today. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you for your time and being on the broadcast. Oh, thank you. It's, it's been, been an absolute blessing. It's my honor, brother. I love you, Pastor. Always. I love you, you too. You've always been a dear friend to me. Yeah. You've had a lot of confidence in me over the years. Yes. I don't take that lightly. Thank you, brother. Good man. Good man. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you for being on the broadcast today. If you like this and you want to hear more, you can go to philpotministries.org for some quick helps on how to deal with different issues in your walk with Christ. And you can find this podcast, Level Up Your Faith, on iTunes. And remember, it's never too late to do the next right thing to honor God. God bless you. Amen.